Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. Thiago beautifully rolled through here for Diogo Jota. Oh, what a goal. Who's rifled it in? And Robertson got it back. And Robertson can raid for Liverpool. Firmino with finesse and style. Liverpool two to the good. And breathing right down the neck of the champions. Perhaps a defining week. City slipper gear. Liverpool put their foot on the pedal and closed the gap to just one point in the Premier League race. The Reds win their final nine games and they're crowned champions. Not many saw this coming a few months ago. Don't forget, if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can read all of our articles on Liverpool as well as everything else on the site by going to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. Right now, if you sign up, you get it for a special price, just £1 a month for six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. I'm Steve Hothersall, joined today on the Red Agenda by James Pearce and Simon Hughes. Only a point in the title race, but the Liverpool fans are probably feeling so much more confident than they have done this season, James. Yeah, it was it was a it felt like a pivotal night in the in the in the context of the season, especially when you throw into the mix how well Arsenal have been doing recently. There was a lot of pressure on Liverpool to deliver. You know, could they take advantage of of City's slip up at Palace on Monday night? And um I thought they showed a lot of the hallmarks of of potential champions with that performance. I thought first half they were nowhere near the usual level. Yet you know, for for all the good moments Arsenal had, they very rarely ever looked like scoring. Because as a defensive unit, I thought Liverpool were were immense. And then Klopp was able to to sort a few things out tactically at half time. And I thought we we saw a very different Liverpool second half. You know, the, the extra quality came to the fore with. You know, it was you know, a huge couple of minutes, wasn't it, with Alisson save at one end and then Jota catching Ramsdale out at his near post at the other. And then, you know, just a kind of a, a dream goal for Klopp. I think the second one that killed it off with the, the counter-pressing through Firmino and then Robertson and then those two combining to kill Arsenal off. So, um, yeah, nine straight wins. Remarkable to think that in, in that period, what only conceded twice in 13 and a half hours of football. And they've shown that this title race is going to go down to the wire. Si, can you believe where you are in your head as opposed to where we were perhaps a couple of months ago? I mean, this is a dramatic turnaround. Have you, have you been more confident than you are now about Liverpool's chances? Well, I think I said this last week, Steve, but you know, I was certainly very doubtful of Liverpool's titles, credentials, going back to November, really, when they dropped quite a few points in a, in a short period of time. And then obviously looking ahead to January where... They had some of the best players out missing. I just thought it's going to be very hard for them to to put themselves in a position where they can compete with City. But um, 
I think a lot has changed, obviously. I think the signing of Luis Diaz has given the team and the club and the fan base a lot of confidence again. And James touched on it then. I think defensively, they've been outstanding. I think I think it just shows like sort of what they were missing last season, really. You know, that Van Dijk and, and uh, Matip have been excellent. I think Matip is a candidate at the moment for Liverpool's Player of the Year. Both of them have been available pretty much all the time. And then when Matip has dropped out, Canate's stepped in and, and, and had a really, really good first season. So I think the basis, I know obviously a lot of the focus really is always on Liverpool's attack, but I think what's really made a difference is the defence. And that, that was evident last night because, as James said, Arsenal were very good in harassing Liverpool in the first half and, and doing what Liverpool sometimes do to other teams. But I think it almost felt like they blew out of steam a little bit when they got into an attacking third. Not only that, Liverpool's defence stood strong, didn't really give any chances away. I mean, Arsenal's best chance came from the sort of mistake that is made once a season by Liverpool. And then still, you've got the goalkeeper who, I mean, there aren't enough words to describe how how important he is really to Liverpool. He, he's... He's crucial to, to what happens over the next couple of weeks. I mean, I, I think he's the best I've seen play for Liverpool, if not one of the, certainly one of the best in the Premier League uh, since the Premier League's formation. So, you know, that save last night was incredible. So Liverpool put themselves in an amazing position last night. It felt like a big win, given the way the players celebrated, uh, similar to when City celebrated at Everton a couple of weeks ago after the game, but obviously City have since slipped up. Although I'd say Liverpool, City have the the, the easiest set of fixtures. I think Liverpool have the momentum. So it's going to be really, really tight, I think. Very tight. I think that there's only going to be a point of could be goal difference. So you you tweeted, I think it was after the Brighton game, Alisson's as big for Liverpool as, as Michael was for United. James, if, it, if we look at that game last night, it was... There was a bit of an element of a, of a case of two keepers, wasn't there? The massive save that Sy's just talked about, the presence of Alisson, and then almost the, the blunder that the, the Arsenal keeper made that allowed Jota to score the opener that changed the complexion of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, how, how different, the, you know, the, the, the whole mood today would have been if, if those, what was it, two huge incidents in the space of three minutes had, had gone differently. I think... Um, you know, what's incredible about Allison is the fact that because of how well drilled and how well organised the unit is in front of him, it's it's not like he's he's not overworked for the most part of games, but he has these incredible concentration levels and alertness that that he's ready when called upon. And um, yeah, he had no right to to make that save last night. I think you know Tiago was quite clearly the most relieved man inside the Emirates because that was a you know, pretty horrendous back pass that presented it to Lacazette and then once he squares it to Odegaard you know you have that sinking feeling of you know well, you know Liverpool have, have, have left themselves with a bit of a you know a, a bit of a salvage act but um, yeah he sticks out that that giant right arm of his makes a you know an incredible save and then yeah at the other end for all the plaudits lauded Ramsdale's way this season that was that was a poor piece of goalkeeping to get cool out his near post like that I think it showed again that you know Jota does that you know we've seen him we've seen him embarrass keepers a few times this season um I, I think I think it's probably a combination of I think he probably gave him the eye in terms of thinking he was going to go the other way and also just the incredible power with little backlift that that Jota is able to to generate so um yeah you know they, that that's the wonderful thing for Klopp isn't it he's got you know Van Dijk and Matip there isn't a better centre back partnership than them two around you know Van Dijk absolutely you know 
comfortably back where he was before the ACL injury. Matip, without a shadow of a doubt, the form of his life and what a resurgence he's had this season. And I thought both fullbacks were were great last night as well. So, you know, each even reached a point after the game where Klopp was offering to, to deck anyone who dared suggest that Trent <laughs> Alexander-Arnold couldn't defend despite... Despite, I think it's fair to say, at his, at his moments with Martinelli. But I think even that can be over-egged because, you know, Martinelli can be great to watch. And yeah, he did get past him a couple of times. But, you know, when he did, the cover was there and there was no end product for Martinelli to, to hurt Liverpool. So, um, yeah, it must be demoralising for opposition teams because on the rare occasions you find a chink in that armour and you get through, suddenly you've got the imposing presence of Alisson staring down at you. Yeah, see, you get to half-time and, you, you know, people are asking questions, aren't they, Sign? They're saying, you know, are Liverpool going to slip up here? But you look at what's available on the bench and this season, I think you just believe more than ever that actually Liverpool will always find a solution to the problems that they face. Yeah, I, I think that the team is is evolved with time. And I think a lot of that is down to the experience that they've got now. You know, it's a really experienced team. I mean, in some conversations, sometimes when you, you know, players get older and you go on a bad run, you, you start getting questions about whether they're still good enough. But I think now, you know, that this team has is, is largely been the same for, for quite a long time. It's won the Champions League, it's won the league, it's won the League Cup, it's won, you know, various other, you know, trophies as well along the way. And I think it trusts itself. I mean, the one thing that interested me, Last night, and it's certainly different to the last sort of title challenge between the two teams in 2018-19, is that Liverpool have won the league since then. So there's no panic amongst the fan base, I sense. There's more excitement now. Obviously, fans are desperate to see Liverpool win the league, but I think having won the league in, in 2020, there's more faith in the team. People don't get too stressed out when... And, and that doesn't that doesn't sort of... Um, transmit onto the players I think there's, there's a great trust between the fan base and the players and I think that showed again last night I mean Arsenal were, were decent in the first half you know and I, th- I think a lot of the sort of the, the panic was around the fact that Arsenal had been on a run and, and, and were, were, were sort of playing some of the best football he played under Arteta but bottom line is they didn't create anything so I just thought well they haven't created anything they've had a really good half Liverpool just need to crank it up a little bit here make, make a couple of tweaks to the to the setup, maybe which Jurgen Klopp alluded to after the game, so I had faith that they would get through. To be honest, even I mean, I'm sure we'll talk more about Allison, but I said I sent James a text in our WhatsApp group last night, and when the ball fell to Odegaard, maybe I was the only person I don't know, but I was thinking Allison's going to save this. I'd back him to save, make that save, even though it seemed impossible. You just back him because that's what he. he, he had, it's not the first time he's done that. He he, he rescues situations from. Mistakes sometimes by himself and sometimes by other people. He never gives up on anything, Alisson. And and that's why I still thought there was a, there was a decent chance he might make that save. And it was, you know, it could be looked back upon as the biggest save of the season because if Arsenal, you know, do take the lead, I think it does become a lot harder for Liverpool. But I just think now Liverpool are a different team. They've got the, the better, the stronger defensively than they have been at any point under under Klopp's management, I'd say. They're very, very, very tough to break down. Huge amount of experience in there. And then they've got still got that stardust up front that can, at any moment, hurt you. I mean, I can imagine if you're an Arsenal player, you've just conceded a goal. People were saying, well, why is he bringing two subs on now? It must be an Arsenal player thinking, God, we're 1-0 down and they're bringing these two on now. You know, it, mentally that's hard to deal with. And I just think that the, the firepower that Liverpool have got up front is enormous and, and can blow teams away 
whether that's the first half or the second half. I think that's the big thing, really. I think in the, in the past, the strength of Liverpool in the early years under Klopp, it was they come at you very early on and attack you and try and get a lead that would just crush any confidence. Whereas now, they've got so many options. It feels like, well, we can be a bit more patient here. Second half, there's always a chance with the, the talent that they've got and the experience that they've got that they can outmanoeuvre a very, very good opposition. I mean, they've done it now to Arsenal, who are obviously on a in the best form under Arteta that they've been under. They did it to Inter Milan away. I mean, very similar games, you know, and they've, they've come away from those games with, with four goals, having not conceded. And I just think the patterns in those games are very similar. Not very many chances taking the chances when they come come along from, from a Liverpool perspective and, and trusting the options off the bench as well. So they're in a great position. It's just going to be, as I said, I mean, you just got to appreciate Man City is such a great team. The, you know, you back them as well to pick it up. I, I can't see them dropping too many more points, but, you know, it could be a matter of one point, couldn't it? What one team could drop one point along the way and then that's critical. Just picking up on the point that you made about the double substitution. So, you know, you got Mane, Firmino and, and Firmino and Salah back on. The old boys back together, James, as soon as that was made. Firmino scores his, his ninth goal against Arsenal. So that's a record league tally uh, for him. There's a perception that Firmino perhaps has been pushed down the pecking order by, by Diaz. But he offers a completely different element to the game, doesn't he, Firmino? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think he responded, didn't he, Firmino, in exactly in keeping with the way we've seen throughout this season. It's been a theme where, where he, you know, those who have found their opportunities limited, those who, you know, are, are drafted in after a period on the sidelines, just con- consistently step up and deliver. And that's why Liverpool have been able to maintain this challenge across all fronts. And, and you're right, I think... Um, you know, Firmino, he has a different skill set. He's unique, really, in terms of, of what he offers you. And, and yeah, you know, his goal return has dropped off somewhat in the last couple of years. But that was another reminder, if we needed one, that that he is still a fantastic asset to have. And I, and, and I think that may well be his role, you know, going forward, you know, that as the, as the impact's up. Because when you, when you look at it and where he is in his career, you know, he, he is the fifth choice at the minute. And it's, and it's difficult to see him being able to massively rearrange that pecking order. But it, it just underlines the amazing strength and depth that Klopp has got. The fact that that you, we're talking about someone as special as Firmino being being the fifth choice attacker. Because that the, the goal just absolutely epitomised him, didn't it? In terms of the counter-pressing, the hunger, the desire, you know, the, the alertness, the intelligence of the movement, and then the the really, really cute finish as well. Um and you could see from the reaction, the best images of the night were him in that away end, weren't they, after? He radiates this kind of joy for the game, doesn't he, Firmino? And you could see from the reaction of the players, it, you know, partly, yes, it was because they knew that second goal had effectively killed Arsenal off. But you could tell they were also delighted for him. And he hadn't, he hadn't kicked a ball for Liverpool for a month due to that groin problem. He hadn't scored in the Premier League since October. But um, yeah, that was, that was an important contribution. On Firmino, I mean, he's a, he's a fascinating character, I think, uh, in Liverpool's modern history because you still can't quite pin him down. He's been around for such a long time and yet very little is, is sort of known about him in some ways. But I, I, th- I think last night and his goal and then his goal against Inter Milan certainly reminded of his importance, but it also sort of reminded of the issues that Liverpool face in terms of the contracts with him, Salah and Mane, because... 
he's obviously, I think, is, is he 30 now, 29, 30, going over the age of 30. Football's the only industry where really once you reach that sort of age, you're expected not to earn quite as much money. You know, you, as, as you get older, your wages sort of come down, broadly speaking. And ideally, you'd want Firmino to, to stick around for a couple more years. Yes, I'd say, you know, if he was prepared to sort of accept that he'll play maybe 20 to 25 games rather than, you know, more than 30. And, you know, obviously not have a massive pay increase. Now, this is where the, the Salah thing comes into it because if he gets a big pay rise, you're then going to have to give a lot of other players a big pay rise, including the ones who are, you know, who are out of contract at the same time. So it's a bit of a problem for Liverpool because they they obviously would sooner, or I think they'd sooner all those players wanted to stay on reasonable terms but quite quickly you can have a situation where you've got players who aren't playing all the time earning more money than players that are and then your, your wage structure spirals out of control quite quickly so you really really want Firmino to stay around because as James says he, nobody can offer what he offers he's such an unusual sort of player really a player who will run himself into the ground but then has unbelievable skill as well just sort of some of the skills I've just never seen before some of the things that he tries to do so you'd want him to stick around, but it's got to be on the club's terms, really, rather than the players' terms. I, I do think the players maybe have to appreciate that a little bit more. You know, the with age, you know, you're not necessarily going to get more money than you had before. I mean, Salah, if the club sees himself as a, as a, you know, as separate from that because he's so good and he could go on for such a long time, that then needs to be sort of articulated across the club, which is a difficult conversation. So that's why it's such a such a careful. Uh, stage of negotiations I think obviously there are no, no negotiations at the moment it seems but it's not as easy as just saying well slap a load of money on him because then you've got to slap a load of money on loads of other players as well who might not be used quite as much but are still potentially very very important I mean I, I think Mane's proven again over the last uh, last couple of months it wasn't his best performance last night but he's done very well up front as a centre forward I think in certain games he's only 29 he's still got a lot to offer but you know, you can't have a situation where the, the, the whole sort of wage structure gets collapses and you've got too many players in and so much money and the players who are potentially going to be playing more games are earning less because it just creates a, a major problem for the club financially then. So it's not so easy, as I say, it's just slapping a load of load of dough down on a on, on somebody who's demanding it. That's not me saying that they, they should or they shouldn't, but it, it's, it's a very careful balancing act. And I think as well, the club should be appreciative of what they saw last night, that... You've got Firmino coming on and, and and scoring a goal in a big game as he's done on more than one occasion recently. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
James, you were in the press conference uh, in the Emirates afterwards with, with Jürgen. Um, Jürgen seemed to have a word or two about the, the lack of protection that Sadio Mane seems to get in games and the, an ongoing theme there. Yeah, I think he was in deep discussions with the, the fourth official for for long chunks of that that first half and was, you know, couldn't hide his rage directed at Andre Mariner because I think I think there was probably three or four times when, when Marnie looked like he was clearly bundled over and brought down that free kicks weren't given. Of course in the in the build up to the game, Klopp had had just pointed to the you know the the stats that show you know that how few free kicks Mo Salah has won over the course of this season as well. So I think he does. I think he think he does feel at times that that those gifted attacking players are un are unfairly treated by officials. I don't know whether it's you know both of them. I think at times have been unfairly criticised for for going to ground too easily and you know, diving, cheating, whatever. Which which I've always thought was incredibly harsh. And I just want to wonder whether that, you know, just sticks in referees' heads because certainly there was there were times last night where you just thought, how on earth, you know, has, has Mane not got a free kick for that? And when you're having to overcome things like that, it just, I think what it does do is is make the victory even sweeter. And I think, I think Klopp was just making the point because he thought, you know, if you say it on a night when things haven't gone great, then you just get accused of being, you know, a a bad loser and sour grapes and all the rest of it. But um, yeah, he was asked why he was so angry in the first half. And he was, I think he was just keen to point out that it was, it was more to do with what he was seeing from the way in which the game was refereed rather than anything being drastically wrong with his team. Although, you know, tactically he did, he did say that, you know, he, he needed to, he needed to ensure they, both the, the, the back line and the midfield pushed up a few extra yards to ask more questions of Arsenal in that second half and highlighted that, you know, the pass of Thiago for the, for the opening goal was exactly what he was after in terms of someone stepping in and making something happen where where I think he felt that Liverpool were a bit too passive before before the interval. So, nine more to go. Sai, would you prefer to be Man City or Liverpool? A City at all affected psychologically by... At one stage, having been 14 points in front and now being a point ahead. Who who do you prefer to be at this stage? Liverpool. Neutral head. Neutral head. I've been thinking about this a lot. Obviously, you look at the fixture list. City's fixture list, I'd say, is easier than Liverpool's. But the one interesting thing is, is that I think, um, James might correct me on this, but I, I think that every weekend when Liverpool are at home, City at home, other than the weekend when they face each other, I think that's right. So each team has a similar sort of advantage on the same weekends, if that makes sense. And then when, when Liverpool away, City are away. Now, I just think that, obviously, Liverpool, that word's being used a lot, momentum. I mean, ideally, you want momentum going into the last five or six games, not the last nine, maybe. maybe. Have they gone too early? I don't know. But, you know, both Liverpool and City have been in this position before, haven't they? In 2018 19 both teams were relentless towards the end of that season. Obviously, Liverpool dropped points, I think, in one game. City didn't. Uh, so they know how to handle it. The difference being this time is I do feel there's more pressure on City because of the advantage that they did have in January. I also think that the fact that City haven't won the Champions League under Guardiola is a is a major issue for City. I mean, Guardiola, he's obviously going to be leaving City in the next couple of years. If he leaves the club without having won the Champions League, without having won it at Bayern Munich, it's a thing that people are going to mention on his records years from now. 
unfortunately, despite everything that he's achieved, despite the great sides that he achieved that he designed at Barcelona, he hasn't won the Champions League in a long time. So I think that that adds more pressure to City. It's not just the Premier League, isn't it? It's the pursuit of of several trophies. So he is under more pressure than Jürgen Klopp is, I, I would say, from himself. Not necessarily the outside noise, although that's there. I'd say he'd probably be putting himself under more pressure to win the Champions League. So because of that, I'd say that puts Liverpool possibly just ahead of them because of that pressure. Now, obviously, you know, he's a, he's a great manager, but he, he has made some unusual decisions under pressure at times, you know, as well, which have failed. So, you know, no manager is infallible. It's about how you deal with a lot of the pressure, really. And at the moment, I just don't think that Liverpool seem to be... They seem to be playing with a lot of freedom. I know Klopp said last night um, that he didn't seem to think that the players in the first half were were almost embracing that pressure and enjoying the game, enjoying how tough it was, because it was tough. But they changed that attitude in the second half. And I think that's a big psychological thing for the team, that they've gone through that mill, really. The, it was really difficult. They weren't particularly enjoying it. The weather was crap. And they managed to get through it and, and win convincingly in the end. I mean, the last half an hour was a bit of a parade, really. So it's a long winter dance, but I, I would put Liverpool ahead of City in the league because of that reason, because of what City have got to think about in the Champions League and because I do I do think it's gnawing away at Guardiola. As much as he tries to make out he isn't, it, it, it isn't. To me, he's a winner and he, he'll be desperate to win that Champions League again because it's something that hasn't happened for a long time. Whereas Liverpool, you know, they don't have to think about that so much. I think they can enjoy themselves a little bit more despite... You know, there is pressure there. There's an absolute demand, not a demand or an expectation, but a hope that they'll do it. I think Liverpool are in a a more comfortable position than City in that sense. Not that they're comfortable, but slightly more comfortable than City. These are two of the best sides we've almost ever seen, James. And actually, you look at it now and think a draw is almost not a... You can't even imagine getting a draw for either of these sides, can you? What what will it take, do you think, between now, Game 9 and the final day of the season against Wolves? It's difficult to see either of them, you know, slipping up maybe more than once, I think, in terms of, I I think whoever wins it probably can only afford to drop two points, I'd I'd say, between that, you know. Phenomenal. It's, you know, and and maybe if that, you know, on the basis that we say that if it's honours shared at the the Etihad, then I think that's what it'll come down to. It'll it'll come down to one one draw somewhere else, one, one off day, one time when an opponent lifts lifts their game a bit like Crystal Palace did against City and and that opponent has some good fortune, which Palace undoubtedly did. I think it's so hard to call, as, as Simon said. I think despite City having the extra point, I'd probably rather be Liverpool at the moment just because I think, I think the mood in the two camps will be different because I think 61 days ago, City were 14 points clear and everyone was already saying, oh, you know, there is no title race, it's done, it's over... To claw that back in that period with nine straight wins, you know, only two goals conceded in that period, you know, and and I think and I think I think also what you have to factor in when you talk about City having the so-called easier games, it's actually been some of those games that that they that have been their undoing this season. It's their record against the top teams. You know, they must they must be top of like the mini league amongst the top six or whatever. Because I think they've only dropped points um, in that game at Anfield. You, know, you you think in just even in that in this period when Liverpool have clawed back that lead, you know they've dropped points against Southampton, 
Tottenham, you know, Tottenham have been so erratic. They lost lost to them and, and Palace. So I don't think it's as easy as saying, well, City have got the slightly easier games. We've also got, there's so many potential narratives thrown into the mix as well. The fact that, that City have got to face Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa on the final day of the season. And then, you know, the other thing I was thinking about the other day was, you know, because it's not just the Premier League that these two incredible teams are on a collision course for. It's, you know, it's the FA Cup and the Champions League. If, you know, if they get, they get drawn against each other, you could have a situation where Liverpool and City play each other four times in the space of about 11 or 12 days in April. You know, that's that's how bonkers this, this run-in could be. But I, th- I think, yeah, for Liverpool, I think you could sense it last night amongst the fans and the players and the staff. They're just loving being part of it. It's not, there's no sense of trepidation because I don't think anyone expected this a couple of months ago. It's been, it's been a joyride to get to it. And, and now you just think, get the job done against Forrest in the FA Cup on the weekend. And we're talking about a Liverpool team going into April, still being able to do the clean sweep. And, you know, no one's ever uttered those words before. It's a brilliant head-to-head between two teams that have fought it out for quite a few years. Um, Simon, you've written a piece about the rivalry that exists between Liverpool and Man City, or perhaps you're calling it in your piece not a truly modern rivalry, not like a Liverpool-Chelsea of old. Or what is it? I know it's it's such a big conversation to talk about, but what was it that was playing on your mind about that relationship between Liverpool and City? It's difficult to be definitive about it because it's constantly moving, isn't it? I think in terms of the relationship between the clubs. Now, obviously, there have been moments where you'd say, well, obviously, there's, there's, there's quite a lot of antipathy between Liverpool and City. I'd say, certainly off the field, um, there is. But a lot of those, a lot of that antipathy sort of played away from the cameras and the media, really. I mean, there's a lot of things that you hear between City and Liverpool where you, you know that sort of... The clubs don't really like each other for, for a variety of reasons. That that that's at an executive sort of level, really. But then on the pitch, you know, you, you sort of see a lot of players who live in the same areas of Cheshire, you know, from the same countries. There hasn't been that sort of hostility on the pitch. It's never it's never really boiled over on the pitch. I mean, you might point towards Sadio Mane kicking Edison in the head, but that was like right, that was before Liverpool were really competing with City. You know, and and the City won that game five 0 and it wasn't when Liverpool were were going head to head with City. Obviously, off the pitch, we've had the incident where uh, the City bus approached Anfield and and was attacked. But if you compare it to sort of like Arsenal and Man Man United, the rivalries really, I think, are defined by the relationship to the players and how they feel about each other and how desperate they are to get one over. You know, the opponent and then that. You know, there's sort of the feeling between the clubs sort of spread from there, really. And there isn't that sort of emotion, I'd say, in it. You look at, like, the, the managers as well. I mean, I'd love to know what they really think of each other, <laughs> Klopp and Guardiola, because, you know, they're nothing but nice as pie, really, you know, in the media. I think they respect each other massively um, because, obviously, they're both hugely talented and, uh, and intelligent men. But I, I don't necessarily see that warmth between them either. Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't say that, you know, the doesn't seem to me to be particularly close, which you wouldn't not necessarily expect between two football managers at major clubs. But you're sort of waiting for that moment, you know, in a game where something there's a moment of injustice or or something that that, that might sort of ignite the rivalry a little bit. I mean, I, I think at the moment maybe the world doesn't need more nastiness and 
sort of headlines of this nature, but it just maybe crank up the sort of sense of rivalry between them. I mean, the the, the closest they've sort of competed with each other on the field really was that 2018-19 season when they were obviously they were going head to head. I think although they've been challenges challenging each other and either team can beat the other one. It's only really been that season and then obviously 2013-14 as well when they were going head to head as well. But it's not been like year on year on year where it's both teams have been sort of going at it, you know, a couple of points towards the end of the season at the top of the table, separating the two teams. But obviously, if that happens over a number of years, I think you'll see a change in sort of feeling between them. Of course, James mentioned there that if the two teams face each other as many as four times in 12 days, I do think that sense of familiarity, you know, they're saying about familiarity and contempt, I think that that could be an interesting period because when you're coming up against the same team for the same trophies and you're desperate to beat them, it does become really intense and... I'm just fascinated, really. I mean, I, I know it's obviously you sort of we were speaking on a Liverpool podcast, and you want Liverpool to to get through. But I think what I will say is some of the games between the teams have been of the highest, highest quality. I mean, one of the best games I've ever seen was that. Unfortunately, the game when Liverpool lost at City, which which tipped the title in the City's favour. It was such a brilliant game of football. You know, I, I think it probably gets forgotten a little bit because it was in early January and it didn't feel like a. It's not necessarily remembered as a title decider, but obviously City won, won the league on by such a small margin of points. That game did prove to be decisive. So, you know, the quality of the football that night was incredible. And I just think, you know, with all this rolled in, the pressure, you know, sort of meeting at this stage of the season once, potentially as many as four times. I mean, it could be really incredible periods, you know, in terms of the standard of football and the... The, the pressure around the two games. It's a, you know, it could end up, you think about like Barcelona and Real Madrid all those years ago when they played each, was it five times in the same month? And and things became pretty uh, stretched between the two clubs. We'll just see. It might not might not work out that way, but it, I, I just think that when you're playing each other all the time, there's an increased chance of, of needle. Right, check the size piece out uh, now on that rivalry between Liverpool and Man City and also James's uh, analysis of Liverpool's win at Arsenal, talking about how brilliant the defence has been this season. Got to let James uh, get on the train before it leaves without him. Thank you very much indeed to Sai and to James, and thank you for listening to the Red Agenda. See you next time.